Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm no Kevin Kelly. And I am a flaming Dudley. Welcome to episode 226, November to Remember 1996. We're there. Do you guys not remember anything that happened on this show? I do. Unfortunately. I do. But we're going to talk about it. I can't just give away my thoughts at the top of the show. I remember, but do I want to hold on to the memories? Find out. Memories. So this is the fourth rendition of November to Remember, produced by ECW. It would take place on November 16th, 1996, from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with a sellout attendance mm. of 1,500. We have reached max capacity. I mean, you can tell because you know how there's a ring, and then there's the floor, and then there's a steel railing. Steel railing is like a full foot and a half to two feet closer like most, so most people don't even have room to, to walk between. to the ring yeah when people do dives to the floor it is scary because me, there's nowhere to gland they're missing out on a key like seating option i mean they had the scaffold match last time true they could just secure that just just a little bit more truly hanging from the rafters yeah put <laughs> some seats on there where you're you know fuck ringside you're yeah you're above, above the ring, ring. Uh-huh. yeah Scaffold box. Yeah. Be great. Just face first can down in like hammock. Or, you know, you can have it set up like a glass bottom boat where you're just uh, looking straight down through the floor at it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. What an idea. I like it. Somebody write that down and send it to 96. Maybe they'll have it for 97. <laughs> or maybe, you know. Put it in the time machine. Throw AEW a, a suggestion and they'll copy something ECW instead of trying to continuously resurrect WCW. Shots fired. I said that out loud. <laughs> They try a lot of things. <laughs> they're, they're trying. So we're in Philly. Yeah, we are. Did Shane do what he does? Well, the last time we were in Philly, we had such a hit with our uh, drink selection from our good friend Joe. So I decided, why break what isn't yet broken? And we're just going to pick something else from the list. So blind choice on this one ended up being what is the... Uh, Hang on, I get, get yeah, to the I'm right screen here. What? who this is named after. This is... Ooh, that is another beautiful picture I took, by the way. Sorry. Blown away by my own talent sometimes. This here is the Dudley Dropkick. Oh. Uh, this high-flying mix... Actually, I should start this over again. Joe, if you did not listen to our uh, last Philly show, sent in a, uh, a drink list selection that he had... Entered into ChatGBT to create some ECW cocktails, and this is one of the ones that it shot back at him. The Dudley Dropkick. This high-flying mix features rum, pineapple juice, and a hint of coconut cream. Served over crushed ice, garnished with a pineapple wedge and a cherry. As sometimes happens here in the uh, WHX Bar and Grill, (laughs) I was out of just the standard house rum or clear rum, but we did have a bottle of 151 that I went ahead and took a little splash from. It's called the Dropkick. Yes, and uh, I made it a a flaming Dudley Dropkick. 
but I didn't light it on fire. I just took some fire photos of it. But it is much, much different than the uh, the last drink that I made that was super fruity as far as masking the taste of the alcohol to the point that we couldn't really tell if there was booze in it. There's no denying that there is booze in this. Yeah. Uh, you can you can feel the burn. You it can taste it. Delicious. It does taste. Oh great. yeah, it's it's awesome. I've I've never used Coco Lopez coconut cream. It's good. And it's uh. I will it's say tasty. That, As it's like, diluting, it's getting a little little better. Yeah, that first sip, I was like, damn. Yeah, that or the taste buds just you know instantly drunk and just give me more. Mm-hmm. Get numbed. But yeah, another another good option from from Joe. So we appreciate you, buddy. You know uh, my only thought that you could do to make this a true Dudley dropkick put glasses if, on it no if you <laughs> that's very funny no if you took like a a grenadine or like a strawberry syrup and I almost and did did, did it like on the inside of the rim so when you poured the pineapple juice and stuff it would look like a tie-dye t-shirt I almost did something like that but it seemed like too much of a hassle. yeah I and, you, and the thing there's grenadine in there you need something a little thicker like a well I had the juice from the maraschino cherries that I could yeah. have used and then there's two different versions of grenadine that I've got on the fridge in there. Okay. So, but yeah, something uh, syrupy on the a, inside of the glass. What we used for the the brain damage one a couple uh, weeks back, it's got an actual little dropper on it, so I nice. think it would have made Making some good little up. swirls on it. But hey, I ain't mad at it. I wanted to uh, have it match the description that we had before I, I doctored it up like I normally do. I guess I did add a little something extra to it just because that first little sip that I took of it just kind of gave me this ring yeah, flavor. Yeah. So I figured you got coconut, you got pineapple. I'll add a little splash of lime juice to it just to uh, yeah. add a little sweetness, add a little zing to it. But lime juice makes everything better. I'm happy with this. Yeah, it's good. Very tasty drink. Yes. But something that would happen the same weekend as November to remember, the English Patient and Space Jam would be released to theaters. Jam. One of these I saw in the theater. Could you guess which one? I'm going to guess you were a jammer. I saw Space Jam. One of the first CDs I ever had in Space mm-hmm. Jam soundtrack. I uh, did not see Space Jam in the theaters. I waited until it came out on video since I had the whole blockbuster hookup. But yeah. I did go see The English Patient because... You had to? Cause it, it was... Because the, the poster had, uh, had a little wheat on it. It had a what on you it? You know, like, they were like, oh, this movie. It's like they always put the, like, the leaves on the poster it's oh. like oh it was a can or whatever no i just want to see because when it came out it was instantly getting oscar buzz so i figured we'll see what this is all about it's you know this big beautiful production and i've never seen it is the english patient good <sighs> i mean one best picture and best director but one best picture one best director one best supporting actress um, i've actually never seen it either really it's it's a beautiful movie it's really slow moving at times is it like but visually it's, what if the piano sucked it's totally different than the piano. Well, I'm just saying, like, is as far as like that, like, it's it's not a bad like. It got a lot of hatred again using Seinfeld as a reference. I was about to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. It, it got a lot of Seinfeld hate, and I think that was just because of how everybody was, you know, with with everything that was nominated against that year. There were were things that a lot of people should have been or thought should have won with the. I think it was up against Jerry Maguire and Okay. So the English patient is kind of like uh Fargo. Kind of like the the King's Speech or the Artist, where it's like nobody watched or cared about those movies and nobody remembers that they won the Oscar. Yeah. 
it was a big budget, big production. You know, it, it was shot with full Hollywood glamour. As far as the you know, the cinematography on it is incredible. incredible. Yeah. Is there a but mystery in this movie? In my head, it's kind of a mix between the piano and uh, Days of Heaven, but I don't know because I don't know anything about the English Patient outside of that it was this big movie that kind of given some guff where people are like, yeah, but like it's not the best movie of the year, but it's yeah. well made. But where like you know, like Days of Heaven is a movie. That looks incredible. Same with the piano, but they were. I don't know if Days of Heaven was a hit, but the piano was like pretty big crossover hit for it being like a artsy movie. Yeah, with this one, I mean, when it came time for the Oscars, I want to say it was up against Jerry Maguire and Fargo and movies that Sling Blade. Yeah, it was up against Sling Blade. Sling Blade and, rules. Yeah, it it had a. If I'm remembering it from the right year, that is, but it had a lot of good big name movies that it was up against and it it just topped them because of the artistry behind it yeah, yeah. Be- because of how large it was like yeah. a scale thing because like Fargo and full of artistic uh, choices and merit but it's not it's not grandiose whereas no. I assume the English patient is grandiose yes it's it's very much an, an old-timey feeling movie as far as the the dialogue and the the thought that they put into a lot of the things. It's got good visuals. It's got good acting. You know, Juliette Binoche, I had never really seen her in anything, and I was captivated by her from the moment that she first showed up on the screen. She went on to win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress and, you know, toppled over Lauren Bacall for The Mirror Has Two Faces... I think that's what the movie was. Probably. I believe you. <laughs> but yeah, the English Patient. I have it definitely on my list to check out at some point. Yeah, I might watch it one day. I was looking at this poster, I was like, is that Kevin Costner or... Um, Ray Fine? Yeah, or who, there was somebody else in my head for a second, too. I was like, is that Kevin Costner or Liam Neeson? I was like, oh no, it's Ray Fines, who in this photo, it looks like he could be either guy, but it's not. Willem Dafoe, I believe, Colin is in Perth. there. You always forget her name. Melody... Scott Thomas or Thomas Scott. Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen Scott Thomas, that's right. Melody is old Nikki from Young and the Restless. Yeah. I always forget because their names are too similar. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good movie. I enjoyed it, but I also thought there was mo- better It was things. definitely a movie I did not want to see when I was 15. No. Yeah, I didn't want to see I didn't want to see it when I was not 15. I don't know how old. I was... I wasn't like even 10 or 11. I wasn't even I was born in 87. I wasn't even 10 yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was not on my radar. But I believe I can fly was on the radio as I put the Space Jam CD in it my was box. My jam. <laughs> it was my jam. It was my jam. See my jam from Space Jam was jam. I mean that's a better song. <laughs> it's a great Looney Tunes film, but then you add in like the fun characterizations of these basketball players who literally just went to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're the dream team. Yeah. And Bill Murray. And, I mean, Bill Murray is great. <laughs> you can't, you Bill can't forget Bill Murray. Yeah, I mean, he is the best actor in the film, but Michael Jordan doesn't do a great job, but he does do better than you'd maybe expect. Because he's not like... He doesn't do enough to make you go... Oh my god! Yeah, like yeah. It, it, I, I have actually recently rewatched this movie, and it still holds up. I watched it a few years ago, and like, I mean, he. I think Michael Jordan does a better job than LeBron James maybe did. 
I haven't oh. watched the new one, so... But I don't know. The new one is uh, a real garbage fire. I can see that. I, yeah, I had no desire to see the, the second one. <laughs> I only watched it because they dropped it on like HBO Max like the day <laughs> of, and uh, I partied pretty hard the night before, so I bought a sandwich and, and ate my hangover. Well, come away. on, guys. Babs? You mean Lola, buddy? Lola. Mm-hmm. I was still gay then. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Michael's secret stuff or whatever. I don't know. Space Jam. Shane, maybe watch it one day. No, I've watched it oh, before. Okay, okay. It's been a long I mean, I saved it. I watched it on video because I was working at Blockbuster on the time. Yeah, so. yeah. You couldn't escape it. Yeah, I didn't need to go to the theater and watch no. Looney Tunes. No, probably not. I was trying to be an adult or figure out how to be an adult. It's okay uh, to like cartoons as an adult. I know. But I would love. This was a different time. For Looney Tunes, you were you were looked at differently if you played video games and stuff, and now it's like career training and shit. <laughs> no shit. Uh, can't the world just be a little bit more ashamed of itself? <laughs> Let's talk some wrestling. The title screen with date and location, and slightly better intro graphics. Slightly better. Just slightly. Taz and Bill Alfonso make their way to the ring. And Taz talks about wrestlers signing contracts in the back. Because there's a big show in the first quarter of the next year. He's talking about Barely Legal, which will be ECW's first time on pay-per-view. Taz is stealing stealing the thunder, and uh, what a heel move. Fans are chanting, fuck you, Taz, because what else are they going to do? He starts yelling at Paul Heyman that he's going to ruin the surprise. Because Paul E. decided to expose the human suplex machine as a liar a scumbag, and a bullshit artist, which Taz admits he did. So sue me, bitch. I do like the first like half of the show, they don't blur out, they don't beep out the curse words, oh, yeah. and then they beep him out towards the end of the show. Like, he says he's going to fuck it up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're, like, they're, they're dropping, cool. dropping Fs and Bs, and, uh, and then it gets beeped out later in the show, and I was like, <laughs> I guess they just, somebody took a nap when they were editing this one. Maybe Extreme, you know, ECW has different, TV rules or whatever to where you can curse before 9 o'clock but then afterwards you can say fuck as in fuck censored. you but you can't say fuck as in I'm going to fuck you <laughs> maybe that's that. it yeah. it's, it's like the whole the whole bitch thing yeah. the human suplex machine then tells Heyman that the main event at that big show will be me versus your boy yeah. and crowd starts chanting Sabu fears Taz I know, which is crazy, because they were just booing Taz. But Sabu does fear Taz, and they've built it up that way. And that gets the human suplex machine to start telling the story about April 8th, 1995, which was ECW three-way dance, episode 148, where Sabu no-showed the event, and but he decides not to waste his breath and heads to the back. I do love that the like Taz calls out the fans for suddenly being on his side, and then they immediately start booing him. It's like he has complete control of the fans, which is hard to do to an ECW crowd. <laughs> These guys have the dirt sheets in their back pocket. So we go to our first match. David, Tyler, Morton, Jericho versus Big Stevie Cool with the Blue World Order of the Blue Guy in Hollywood Nova. The Insiders, which I couldn't help but laugh at. First up, Jericho. We'll know him better as Kid Cash. 
in okay. the future. That's who that is. Kid Cash. All right. I kept looking at him thinking he looked familiar, but I couldn't place who he was. He has a decent look. He kind of looks like one of the young bucks. He's like built like one of them. They're like short and like thick and uh, stringy hair. And the Blue World Order is going to cut a promo with Meanie having a chicken bone instead of a toothpick. While Richards takes the mic to tell everyone that they are taking over, threatening to run this midget back to WCW. And then the match gets going, we get back and forth, when David would get on the mic to tell Stevie that he's the gayest looking son of a bitch he's ever seen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, he's not wrong, but whoa. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> Stevie with the belly shirt, he's kind of asking I mean, for Stevie it. with the belly shirt is just Stevie, though. Yeah, it is just Stevie. Also, maybe... Biggest pop of the night. Say hello to the blue guy. Come on. You guys are having fun. Richards looks to strike, but Jericho blocks, nailing some right hands, a back body drop, and several arm drags before hitting a drop kick, only for Stevie to respond with an eye poke and elbows in the corner. David then reverses a whip, sending Richards hard into a corner, following in with a knee to his snake eye and a testicular claw before tossing to the floor, where Jericho leaps off the top rope with a plancha. As Stevie makes his way back to the apron, David delivers a springboard clothesline, a slingshot back into the ring, followed by a springboard leg drop for a two-count. And Jericho keeps working Richard's package with more low blows, before applying a Boston Crab, forcing Stevie to make it to the ropes. Leave it to the guy that calls another guy gay to go immediately for his package. Yeah. He literally hits like seven <laughs> low blows in this match. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, Stevie's also, he's done a couple of Kevin Nash moves, which is nice. But he's also doing some Stevie stuff too. Yeah. A couple more low blows from David when Richards has clearly had enough, ducks a clothesline and kicks Jericho in the balls as hard as he can. Square in the nuts. And Stevie calls for the powerbomb, but he instead drops down to hit David low again, followed Excuse by me. a sidewalk slam for a near fall. It's the jackknife. And what was that sidewalk slam? That was the Emerald City slam. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was back Oz. when he was that Oz. Was, that was Oz's move. Ah, uh, okay. And Joey calls it out on the microphone, and boy, did I get a kick out of it. <laughs> Richards then misses a drop kick, allowing Jericho to hit a turnbuckle smash and send Stevie chest first into a corner, bouncing back and nailing a cutter for a two count. DDP. These guys, they're always booing WCW, booing WWF, but they know that that's DDP's move. They're not real. Richards telegraphs a back body drop, so David goes for a sunset flip, only for Stevie to stay up and punch down. But then he arrogantly sits on Jericho for a pin, allowing David to roll him up for a near fall. The crowd wants the jackknife, but again Richards telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Jericho to hit a double underhook lifting pile driver for a two count. David then takes Stevie to the top turnbuckle to nail a super rana before delivering a leg drop for a near fall. Now Jericho telegraphs the back body drop, so Richards hits the power bomb for a two count. He then tunes up the band for a Stevie kick, but it's ducked, and David goes low for the seventh time and gets a near fall. Richards then ducks a clothesline and turns and nails the Stevie kick for the pin and, and the win. win. Big Stevie cool. 
Is Stevie just like no selling like seven nut shots the same as a man of the island no selling his uh, skull? I mean, if you were to legitimately <laughs> sell seven nut shots, would there be a match? No, not at all. That's why it's just it's just funny. It's like, oh, well, it's that's that testicular fortitude or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We then go to our second match: Axel Rotten versus Hack Myers. Yeah. And he's been around, but we haven't seen Hack have a match since Hardcore Heaven '96, episode two hundred six. And Rotten goes right after Myers as he rolls into the ring, only for him to fire up with Shaw punches. And they fight their way to the floor where they run around ringside, trading strikes, until Hack uses a chair across the back of Axel. We get more brawling when Rotten would run Myers into a ring post Post and use a chair himself. Hack retaliates by running Axel into a guardrail and another chair shot before they roll into the ring where they fight over a chair with Myers nailing another shot across the back. Hack then charges into a corner for a chair-assisted clothesline, only for Rotten to get a boot up, but Myers recovers to swing away to knock Axel down for a two-count. Hack hits a guillotine leg drop on the apron before heading up top, only to be dragged down by Rotten face-first into the chair laying on the mat. Axel then nails a double underhook faceplant. For the pin, and, and the, the win. win. It happened. Yep. That's about what I expected it to be. Pedigree to the chair. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, you can you can write that one down, uh, Hunter. Use it later. Sha, that was rotten. <laughs> so we go to our third match. Bubba Ray Dudley with Sign Guy Dudley versus Devon Dudley. Here we go. And the brawl is on as we join the match. With Bubba hitting a face plant and mounted punches. But Devon fires back with short arm clotheslines, a body slam, and a leaping headbutt. And Bubba Ray is back body dropped, followed by Devon going for a clothesline. Only for Bubba to low bridge the ropes, sending Devon tumbling out to the floor. Now Bubba Ray runs Devon into a railing before rolling back in, where Bubba telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Devon to leapfrog and nail an inverted DDT for a two count. You love to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm so pro Devon and so anti Bubba. Who has the charisma? Bubba Devon. Ray's tossed out to the floor with Devon following out with a double axe handle off the apron and tossing Bubba into the crowd. And they begin to brawl through the crowd using chairs, signs, ukuleles, and punches shared between the two. Before they make it back to the ring, where Devon goes up top with a chair. Only for Bubba Ray to go low, followed by a superplex for a near fall. Now Bubba continues with a Bubba Bomb for a two count. He then goes for a top rope splash, only for Devon to avoid and hit one of his own for a near fall. Devon slaps his fallen brother, and he goes for a chair shot. Only for Bubba Ray to block, but Devon is able to catch him in the jaw with a right hand. Bubba then reverses a whip, and he throws Devon up into the air, catching him with a Bubba cutter for the pin and the win. I don't care if you hate Bubba Ray, but that was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. It was very good, and like. 
just think Devon's much more compelling. <laughs> he's just got he's got the the thing where it's like Bubba is not afraid to go full into his character or make an ass of himself, but you believe Devon. He's got the juice. Post match, Joel Gertner steals away Bob Artis's mic to announce Devon as the winner. And Bubba Ray's looking all confused. So Joel explains by saying in his expert opinion, Devon had won on points. Fuck you. Calling Bubba's finisher mediocre. (laughs) Gertner then calls Bubba Ray a fat boy and to get out of his way. So Bubba grabs hold of Joel when Axel Rotten would run in with a chair shot to Bubba Ray and Sign Guy. Spike Dudley would then run out, ducking a chair shot and delivering a drop kick to the chair in front of Rotten's face. And he does the orange Cassidy kicks. Spike then drop kicks Devon as well before chopping away on Axel, as Bubba recovers to drop kick Devon also, before Spike nails the acid drop, which is a corner springboard bulldog. Rotten is recovered, and he delivers a vicious clothesline to Spike to lay him out allowing Devon, Axel, and Joel to beat down the rest of the Dudleys. Big Dick then makes his way to the ring, with Rotten and Devon bailing out as soon as they see him. But Gertner's left alone, and he ends up between Dick and Bubba Ray, where he ends up being slapped and body slammed by Bubba before a big dick salt for the Dudleys to stand tall. Yeah, I mean, Big Dick... Lands pretty rough. Like his head, I guess, could his be worse. He goes right into Joel's nose. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he gets up right away. And Gertner, you know, keeping it up, his comedy spot uh, was well done. So we go to our fourth match: the Eliminators, Perry Saturn and John Cronus, versus Sabu and Rob Van Dam, to be the number one contender for the ECW World. Tag Team Championships. Later that night. That's right. Joey tells us the winner will get a shot at the titles later in the evening. Yeah, I missed that line when this match started up. So when the title shot happened, it was like, wait, what? Yeah, you Why poor, are we doing this? You poor son of a bitch. <laughs> at least I knew it was coming. So Saturn and the Homicidal One trade arm drags, arm locks, hip tosses, and drop kicks to start us off before Cronus and RVD come in to see John avoid some kicks with leapfrogs, followed by hitting a pair of suplexes. Make a cover, but Sabu breaks it up, which just leads to everyone brawling. RVD's singlet is incredibly terrible. It looks just like a red brick wall. Mm -hmm. It's so bad it's good. Sabu and Cronus head out to the floor for the homicidal one to be run into a guardrail while Van Dam works Perry over with kicks inside the ring. Saturn returns the favor, followed by a power slam for a near fall, as John uses a chair on Sabu and sends him head first into the post. Posted. Perry has a chin lock on, but RVD escapes with a jawbreaker, followed by an ugly power bomb and a rolling leg drop for a two count. Now Saturn fires back with right hands, a body slam, and a springboard moonsault. For a near fall. While Cronus and the Homicidal One have made it back to their corners, so John's tagged in and runs the ropes, only for Van Dam to catch him on a leapfrog 
to powerbomb him down, followed by a second rope elbow drop for a two count. Cronus is kicked into a corner where Sabu blasts him with a chair, followed by a triple jump leg drop and an Arabian face buster that forces Perry to make a save. RVD returns with a top rope leg drop for a near fall, but John finally turns the tide with a low blow and a rubber band slam before clobbering the homicidal one off the apron. Saturn comes in for some double-team action before making a cover, only for Sabu to get back in just in time. Perry with a jumping leg drop to Van Damme and applies a headlock, only for the homicidal one to just throw a chair at Saturn, which pisses him off so he goes after Sabu, brawling with him into the crowd. I do love when somebody just throws a chair at you yeah i just yeah and they just like hits him right in the head they're just like oh you know what i'm just gonna throw it i can't get there fast enough <laughs> it is uh silly and dangerous but you know it'll bring you in a little bit oh, yeah it seems to hit a whole lot harder than when you're just swinging it and hitting uh, somebody in the back yeah sometimes it seems more visceral than even just like them cracking him over the head yep. there's probably no right way to hit a guy on the head with a chair but there's definitely Absolutely no right way to just like throw a chair at somebody's head. <laughs> if there is, I'm gonna guess Foley would be able to tell you which way that is. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't seen <laughs> Beyond the Mat, there really isn't any right way to do it. No. <laughs> you just either say go for it or don't go for it. Cronus sends RVD out to the floor, following out with a plancha. The homicidal one comes back to ringside by jumping off a railing with a crossbody onto John. Perry does the same to Sabu followed by a clothesline to Van Damme, before RVD starts throwing chairs at Saturn, while the homicidal one is doing the same to Cronus inside the ring. And Sabu uses some more chairs to nail Air Sabu and a somersault leg drop to John for a two count. But Perry has returned to regain control with clotheslines and drop kicks. Now Van Damme has a chair in hand, when Cronus flies in with a drop kick to the face, followed by Saturn doing the same to RVD. Perry drops the homicidal one on the ropes before hitting a slingshot clothesline that takes them both out onto the concrete, while John body slams Van Damme and follows with a handspring backflip over the ropes onto Sabu. Goddamn. I mean, he's, uh, he's lost some pounds, but that's still a dangerous move. Yeah. Especially, like I said earlier, there's only like two feet between the railing and and yeah. the ring and John Cronus is like 6-2 easy. RVD is ready to fly as well as he delivers a somersault plancha onto the Eliminators. But the homicidal one is not to be outdone. So he nails a triple jump plancha where he ends up landing throat first on the guardrail. I could feel it. Saturn then runs Van Damme into a post while Sabu is setting up a table across the apron and railing. Posted. Only for Cronus to meet him there to brawl momentarily, but the homicidal one gets John up onto the table. Sabu then rolls back in for a triple jump, only for Perry to leap in off the top rope with a clothesline to take him down, followed by RVD coming in with a thrust kick to Saturn, followed by Cronus then rushing in and taking Van Dam down to the floor. Perry nails a cutter on Sabu while John beats up RVD on the floor before Saturn looks to suplex the, the homicidal one through the table, only for it to be blocked multiple times, allowing Sabu to springboard Bulldog Perry 
off the apron through the table. And, uh, oof. Like, basically, Sabu's knees take all of the table and Saturn's hip eats the concrete. It is a rough fucking fall. But it was all worth it because the chance, the crowd chanted, ECW, ECW. It makes it all worth it. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> that 50 bucks is now $100 in your mind. Van Dam and the Homicidal One now team up to work over Cronus inside the ring using chair-aided drop kicks and a slingshot leg drop, slingshot splash combo. Wonderful looking stuff. Before Saturn comes running back in with big boots to everybody. Perry hits a body slam of RBD and heads up top for an elbow drop that gets a two. But Van Dam fights back with second rope drop kicks and an Arabian face buster from Sabu for a near fall. Yeah, but Saturn's busted open now. At least he had that great looking elbow drop. And it settles back into a normal tag match again. With the Homicida one locking on a half crab. Only for Saturn to pull Sabu off of him by the hair. I do think it's funny that we have it on camera that it was supposed to be like Bulldog DDT type move through the table. But uh, he landed hip first and then just bladed on the ground even though we saw him hit, hit his head didn't hit anything his hip sure did but you can't bleed from the hip that wouldn't be compelling at all it sounds like a, a name of a future podcast bleeding from the hip bleeding from like yeah, yeah it really does <laughs> rvd throws a chair at perry to break that up when cronus would run in with a drop kick to knock van dam off the apron and into the guardrail only to turn around into a chair being thrown at him by the homicidal one. I don't know about you guys, but I am worn out. Yeah. (laughs) Saturn with a small package and a leg sweep for two counts before bringing John back in, only for Sabu to dropkick his shin and apply a half crab. The hair is pulled again to escape, so RVD runs in with basement dropkicks to Cronus' face, followed by a spinning heel kick that gets an airfall. Now it's broken down to all four men in the ring again as the Homicidal One delivers an Arabian press to Perry, while John body slams and nails a springboard twisting somersault senton onto Van Dam for a two count. A Northern Light suplex by Saturn on Sabu for a near fall, followed by Perry hitting a second rope moonsault on RVD for a two count, as the Homicidal One breaks it up with a leg drop. Now both Sabu and Cronus go for covers, only to get near falls, followed by Van Dam hitting a spinning heel kick to John as the bell rings. Ding, ding, ding. Duh, was my thought whenever the bell rang. It's like, and the duh. crowd chants, three-way dance, three-way dance, when Commissioner Todd Gordon would come out to sanction five more minutes. Ding, ding, ding. And RVD is immediately thrown to the floor, while the Homicidal One locks on a Boston Crab on Saturn, with Cronus just staring at him in the corner, also allowing Van Dam to jump back in with a leg drop. John then leaps into action, powerbombing both guys, before the Eliminators nail some kicks to RVD, only for Sabu to come off the top with a double DDT, but Cronus just falls over, meaning Perry gets spiked. Yeah, Cronus, uh, was, his timing was off. Van Dam and Sabu now team up for a doomsday leg drop that gets a two count. 
when John rejoins the fray to backdrop RVD out to the floor. The Eliminators hit some more kicks to the Homicidal One as Van Damme makes a save for the near fall, followed by a butterfly face plant on Saturn. He then goes up top for a splash, only for Perry to move. Cronus retaliates with a second rope clothesline, allowing Saturn to head up top for a moonsault, only for RVD to avoid and head back up top. But John goes low and power bombs him off to the mat, with Perry barely getting out of the way. He tried. Cronus then attempts a second rope somersault senton, but Van Dam moves, allowing the homicidal one to set up for a triple jump moonsault. But the chair ends up being kicked back towards John, so Sabu nearly impels himself on one of the legs when coming down. <laughs> but it also gets a near fall. And the bell rings again. Ding, ding, ding. And the crowd again chants, Three-way dance! Only for Saturn to grab the mic and get another five minutes. As Gordon agrees, and we're back on. Everyone just stares each other down momentarily when the homicidal one would hit a Rana on Perry for a two count before kicking him out to the floor, following out with a Tope Suicida, which lands him in the front row after hitting the railing. I think Sabu's biggest enemy in all of wrestling is himself. I agree. Yep. RVD and Cronus are out on the floor as well, where Van Dam nails a Quabrata off the railing while Saturn and Sabu make their way back into the ring, where Perry drops a knee from the top rope for a near fall as RVD breaks it up. Saturn delivers a Rana to Van Damme for a two count, with everyone back in to brawl. John and RVD make their way to the top, only for Van Damme to slip off, causing both men to crotch themselves. Perry and the homicidal one both go for springboard crossbodies on each other at the same time, with them landing on their partners, leaving everyone laid out as the bell rings. The crowd again chants, three-way three dance. dance, and Todd finally gives them what they want. I mean, Jeez guys, fucking about two minutes before the bell rang, I was like, okay, time to draw a three-way dance. Crowd chants it, five more minutes. Another five more minutes? Everybody knew what they were doing. This was for nobody. These guys just took years off of their lives, mm -hmm. and they did everything under the sun, but maybe they just wanted to do everything under the sun before it inevitably turns into a brawl, considering that the, the three-way dances with the gangsters. It, it shouldn't even got the five more minutes. <laughs> they should have went straight to three-way dance. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's mad at that. They said it the first time. Yep. This whole Crazy. match was just fucking pointless. It was pretty pointless, and it's a bummer because we all enjoy these wrestlers to various, like varying degrees, and they did a lot of impressive and Until dangerous they things. They overstayed their welcome, and this exactly. match went about however long it was too long. This is proof that you shouldn't always do everything under the sun. No. In kayfabe, about twelve minutes too long. Yeah. It's, it's matches like this that make me really feel bad that you have to do all of the notes on this, but also thankful that you do the notes on this because 
You would have got like four words out of me out of this match, which I mean, I think that's what I said into the microphone this entire time because it was just like, come the fuck on already. <laughs> yeah, we love all these guys and we know they can be do compelling things, but when the only thing on the line is a match against the gangsters, yeah. and you guys do every single move in your that you have in your back pocket. The fact that you do a three way dance with the gangsters about every fucking episode, this. Well, this whole match right here just pisses me off because it is totally unnecessary and we don't need 15 or 14 or however many matches that are on the show. You're hiding the gangsters. <sighs> it's what they was like. It's like, oh, well, hippie bull stuff. They can do wrestling moves, but they don't. No one wants them to, so... Yeah. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that Mustafa and, and New Jack are probably both better wrestlers than the Sandman. But they, don't even, Sabu. but they don't even bother. Sabu does impressive things. Doesn't mean he's a good wrestler. Yeah. It, does not, <laughs> it does not mean he's a, better, a great wrestler. Yeah, some people can do backflips. That doesn't make them great wrestlers. So we head to our fifth match. Mikey Whipwreck versus Chris Candido. <sighs> Mikey Whipwreck in that all-over print Venom, Spider-Man Venom t-shirt with a purple fucking... It's not a do-rag, but it's like a... Bandana on, looking looking funny. So the two guys have a feeling out process to start with the crowd chanting for Sonny. So Chris takes the mic to tell them that she's at the Hall of Fame ceremony. So shut the hell up! I'm trying to fucking wrestle here. Uh, you can feel it. He's like, "Come on, guys, fuck." And we, Mikey's face is already like bruised up. Maybe he got in a bar fight. I don't know. Maybe he had a. Uh, ECW match two days ago. <laughs> either, either thing could be true. So we get more back and forth action that gets a boring call from one idiot. Yep. When Whipwreck hits a Northern Lights for a two count. Candido recovers with a big right hand and tossing Mikey to the ropes, only for him to come back with a Hurricanrana that takes them both over to the floor. You know why it got a boring chant? Because the crowd was bored as fuck after that last match. Because the crowd saw every move that could ever be done in a match that was not necessary. But it was not particularly. <laughs> it was not particularly particularly wrestling minded. No, it was, was. It was not wrestling minded. It was not necessary. It was not fun. It was extreme. Waste <laughs> it was extreme. Of time. Yeah. <laughs> Whitbreck throws Chris into the crowd before going to the top turnbuckle to fly out onto him. They return to the ring with Candido holding his neck, giving Mikey pause. But it was all a ruse to sucker him in for a cheap shot. You son of a bitch. Whipwreck reverses a whip, sending Chris in hard, followed by heading up top, only for Candido to catch and drop him with a power slam for a near fall. There's a, it's really funny when Chris Candido sells his neck. There's a, a small Bruce Pritchard, Pritchard sucks chant. And I was like, okay... Bruce, as long as they're not saying that about Tom, that's fine. But I was like, why Bruce? Maybe that I don't I don't quite know exactly why. It could no be clue. the fact that maybe the wrestling fans back then didn't know the difference between Bruce and Tom. <laughs> oh, so. they had to. <laughs> one was a wrestler and the other one was fat. I mean, and one, not a wrestler. One was a chubby wrestler, the other one was Paul <laughs> or not Paul Bear. Brother Love. Brother Love. And Tom wasn't chubby. He wasn't thin. He was, he was thick. Yeah. He, he was beefy. Chris keeps up the attack with a snap suplex and a second rope leg drop for a two count before going to chokes and more leg drops. 
The two then go through a sequence that they botched three or four times straight that ends up with <laughs> Candido nailing a gut wrench powerbomb for a near fall. Chris tries for another, only for Mikey to reverse it into a Rana for a two count, followed by a back body drop and a drop kick for a near fall. Whitbrook heads up top, but Candido knocks him down, causing him to crotch himself, allowing Chris to climb up to deliver a super Rana for a two count. A body slam by Candido before heading up top for a flying headbutt, only for Mikey to move in time, rolling up Chris for a near fall before hitting another drop kick for a two count. Whipwreck up top, coming off with a spinning heel kick for a near fall. Falls it up with a missile drop kick and a tornado DDT that get two counts as well. Candido then goes low to slow the momentum, but Mikey flips out of a body slam attempt into an O'Connor roll for a near fall. Whipwreck then tries for a springboard moonsault, only for Chris to catch him and drop him with a tombstone pile driver. Oof. Candido heads up top, but Mikey falls into the ropes, causing Chris to crotch himself, allowing Whitbreck to join him, only for Candido to recover to deliver the blonde bomb for the pin and the win. And there's lots of small stuff in here that's uh, very good, but it's... Hard to point out after our energy was wasted on 10 more minutes. Yeah, Candido's character work is good here. It's John with the ref. There's a spot after the diving headbutt where he does like, or where he does the, like a flare flop, but he does it in his own style and it's good. There's a cover where he's doing push ups on Mikey, just trying to punk him. It's good. A little throwback to his little skip days of coming down, doing some push ups. Yeah. Doing some jumping jacks. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I feel like we're only a couple matches in, but I'm like, I feel like this match could have had better placement, but it's like, oh, well, anything that's out of the window when you have what we just talked about. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah. okay, well, placement is, we can't even argue placement because this thing took up 30, over 30 minutes. Post-match, Chris takes the mic and says he spent the last two years carrying pieces of shit giving Mikey respect and shaking his hand. Nice. So I know. Is, so is Candido a heel or a face? Well, he says, Mike, he does a really, an interesting thing. So like, there's two shows in a row, but he's, like, done something different both times. Yeah, there's a thing where he says he hasn't been in, like, had a match like that in, like, four months and uh, worked with a guy with a broken back, broken neck. But he said, I spent the last years carrying pieces of shit. And then he does something self-deprecating, saying, but Mikey... Man, tonight you did the same fucking thing. You, you did the same fucking thing yourself tonight. Kind of referring to himself as a piece of shit, shit, which bummed me out because I was like, "Oh, this guy." We all know that he kind of had some issues in uh, his life and died too young. But I was like, "Oh, this seems kind of like he's shitting on himself, getting the other guy over." He's like, "Yeah, I'm also a piece of shit," which, by all accounts, no one's ever really said anything bad about Chris Candido. But him crapping on himself, even in that very slight way, I picked up on it and was like, ah, it's kind of a bummer to see him talk about himself like that. It was, at the very least, interesting. So we go to our sixth match. Oh, yeah. Rob, Van Dam, and Sabu. Come on, dog. Versus the Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus. Versus the Gangsters of Mustafa Saeed and New Jack in a 
three-way dance for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. Fucking Philly fans calling for this bullshit. Uh, I've had enough. Our competitors from earlier are already brawling as we join the action. When the music hits and the trash cans come flying, so throw up the X, because the gangsters are here with the plunder being used everywhere. My note is, uh, people hit each other with shit. Mm-hmm. Jack hangs RVD with a chain until Saturn makes the save. Before the homicidal one throws a chair at New Jack. Saeed lays out John with a cookie sheet, followed by Sabu throwing a chair at Mustafa. Attempting a camel clutch on Cronus, only for Jack to blast him with a hubcap. Saeed then hits a vertical suplex on the homicidal one, followed by a knee drop. While Van Dam and Perry brawl on the floor. And John's busted open with chain-aided fists from New Jack, while Mustafa and Sabu have made their way out into the crowd. Cronus fights back with an aluminum pan, while RVD and Saeed are now brawling in the crowd as well. Jack uses the hubcap again, only for John to use a cheese grater to return the favor, as the homicidal one and Saturn have fought their way to the entryway. And they head towards the eagle's nest as Van Dam flies off the apron with a kick to Mustafa before making their way into the ring where Saeed body slams RVD for multiple two counts. Perry dives off the balcony with a knee drop onto Sabu, while New Jack and Cronus are out in the crowd brawling. Mustafa with a big boot and a chin lock, while Jack and John have a duel with chairs and trash cans. Van Dam then goes for a sunset flip on Saeed, only for him to stay up and punch down before nailing him with a cheese grater over the head. And the Homicidal One and Saturn have made their way back to ringside, as RVD thrust kicks Mustafa. New Jack's carving up Cronus on the outside, when Perry would save his partner with a chair shot, as Sabu is setting up a table. Van Dam hits a springboard back kick to Saeed, to knock him down to the floor, when Saturn would fly in with a top rope knee, to the face of RVD. Perry would then hit a leg sweep of the homicidal one before saving his partner from Mustafa this time. And Van Dam is taken down somehow, while Sabu goes for a tope suicida, only to dive right into a chair that John is holding. But RVD then flies out with a somersault senton, followed by Saturn coming off the top with a crossbody onto everybody. Where did they get the energy? Cronus and Saeed are placed on a table that's bridging the apron and guardrail, with the homicidal one going for a triple jump moonsault. But he slips on the ropes, so Van Dam must reset everyone for Sabu to try again, only for him to slip off again. They're teasing it, or maybe he did too many drugs. Or he's now wrestled for 40 minutes on this show. Yeah, full four minute, 40 minutes like full tilt. Like, they were doing everything that they could do. I mean, he, he often gets sloppy after about five minutes, so we're, we're lucky he hasn't fully broken his neck or something again. Yeah. The homicidal one just says, screw it, and just goes for a slingshot senton. But everyone's moved, so he goes through the table. All of that just to eat the table, Sabu. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Taz is there, ready to pounce on Sabu. But RVD makes a save only for the human suplex machine to slap the Taz mission on Van Dam. Choke him out. 
The homicidal ones rolled into the ring, and he ducks a double clothesline from the Eliminators. When he notices his partner being choked out. He saved him. They're but, buddies now. They hugged. But the distraction allows the Eliminators to deliver total elimination. <sighs> for the pin. And the elimination. Cronus then goes out to the floor to brawl with Saeed. While New Jack dives in off the top with a chair onto Saturn. Making the cover. For the pin. And the win. What's funny is, all of that, for what I think, is a great finish. A great finish considering what we had to go through. A solid yes. finish. It's a solid finish. Yeah. But we didn't have to do all that to get there. Mm-mm. No. We, this show didn't have to be three hours to get there. No. But we, you guys agree the finish was good? It made the match stop, so it yes. It starts building the... Taz Sabu storyline a little bit more concretely than just Taz yeah. calling Sabu out. And uh, and they and they actually like saved each other instead of like, you know, they're they're buds now. Yeah. And it's been a cantankerous relationship. That being said, well, let's move on. Please. But we also could have done that without it being a three way dance. We could have done yes. Mm-hmm. Like it literally could have just been Rob Van Dam and Sabu versus the gangsters. Yep. And Taz come out. Yep. Could have been done a lot of different ways. Are the gangsters just like horrible wrestlers by themselves, so they have to have three teams in there so it distracts people from what they can't do? Or is this just a continuous It's hard to tell. It just, it just gives you more people to watch, to yeah. do things. Yeah. I think that they kind of... I feel like that they kind of spam the, the gangsters like thing. I'm trying to think back here. Because I feel... Because New Jack and Mustafa like came from... Smoky Mountain, so they had to have at least been able to be covered up in an interesting way because they weren't gonna. Jim Cornette wasn't gonna have them out there throwing fucking cheese graters and chairs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they had to have at least been. I'm just trying to think of like, have we really had any or many one team versus another tag team matches involving the gangsters? Because not off the top of my head, it's mostly yeah three ways in cages with the same. Two teams. I mean, usually the finish of a feud. So, because like they've had one on ones with eliminators, they had one on ones with the pitbulls. Pitbulls, thank you. So they've had one on ones, but they're normal. They're still brawly. Normal tag matches, but yeah. We get Joey Styles in the ring, and he talks about the quality athletes the ECW has had, but another guy is leaving. Too cold, Scorpio. Uh-oh. Joey talks about his accomplishments. He won four TV titles and a tag championship as the crowd applauds. He's almost the first ECW champ. The extreme champ, I should say. Too cold makes his way out and says, I'm not going to miss any one of you motherfuckers. Uh-huh. But continues that he's not going anywhere as he will continue to wrestle here and the WWF. Really? And he knows that the tradition on their last night is to pass the torch on his way out. So I'm going to do a job for the next motherfucker that comes out. It's getting spicy. And Scorpio makes the challenge that he will leave ECW for 15 days if he loses his next match. It's like seven shows. The um, <laughs> I also like... He comes out to the ring and he's really dancing it up with everybody around the crowd. It's like the most babyface... Too cold Scorpio. I almost called him Scorpio Sky. <laughs> 151. So we get our seventh match. 
to Cold Scorpio versus Devin Storm in a loser leaves town for 15 days match. No more jobs. That's a pretty funny chant. The two men shove each other to start before Two Cold unloads with right hands and a drop kick. Scorpio continues with a back suplex and heads up top to hit a tumbleweed for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Uh, two Cold's punches are like to Devin Storm look legit. <laughs> like he looks like they look like if you go back and look at him, the punches and the drop kick look fucking shoot. It's pretty wild. I don't know that they are, but they look great. Post-match, Too Cold calls out anyone in the locker room to take him out. And he'll up the ante to 30 days. So we get our eighth match. Too Cold Scorpio versus J.T. Smith with Little Guido in a loser leaves town for 30 days match. The loser takes a vacation. Loser goes to rehab. That's rude. Sounds more likely. I'm sorry. <laughs> JT attacks with elbows as Scorpio hands the mic off, but Too Cold recovers with a monkey flip and a side slam before delivering a moonsault for the pin and the win. Smith, unfortunately, was gone for longer than 30 days, as we won't see him again for two years. What? Where's JT Smith go? We like JT Smith. He basically retires. He comes uh, back for one match. Okay. Uh. Well, you know, we love the Paisan. Yeah. That's a bummer. I'm, uh, like a man that had some talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was uh, definitely a favorite of ours for quite some time. One of the like early impressive OG ECW guys. Yep, absolutely. That opening package for so long, him falling out of the nest. <laughs> Post-match, Scorpio's laughing, but says... He will make it 60 days. So we get our ninth match. Two Cold Scorpio versus Hack Myers in a loser leaves town for 60 days match. Yeah, which in my first thought of that on paper is, Shaw. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Shaw punches start us off, but a reversed whip allows Too Cold to hit a running back elbow and a spin kick. Hack reverses a whip of his own to hit more punches to get a two count, followed by a running elbow to the head. Scorpio with a thrust kick out of nowhere before a back suplex and a 450 splash for the pin and the win. And Myers will stay away for longer than 60 days as well, but it'll only be a good nine months before we see him again. All right. Did him and Bolamo take a beach vacation? They went to the Poconos. Post-match, Too Cold decides he's going to make it a year as Louis Sapicoli comes out to check on Hack. So Scorpio slaps and challenges Louis. Too Cold starts talking about Survivor Series, saying that Spicoli's going to be his mystery partner tomorrow night before predicting a 60-second victory. Yeah, I love it. He's like, he's like, oh, you know, after this, uh, we're all going to go to the WWF Tower. <laughs> Which is funny, because I've always heard it called Titan Tower. I've never heard it called the WWF Tower, but it makes sense. Same, same place. So we go to our 10th match. Two Cold Scorpio versus Louis Spicoli in a Loser Leaves Town for one year match. They both go to the WWF for one year. <laughs> 
So they trade strikes to begin when Too Cold would hit a spinning heel kick and a power slam for a two count. Scorpio keeps up the attack with a power bomb and heads up top for a top rope leg drop for a near fall. Too Cold then goes for a moonsault, only for Louie to avoid as the crowd counts down the 60 seconds that Scorpio had promised. I love that after the first pin attempt, Scorpio just says, uh, yeah, you should, yeah, you're supposed to, yeah, you're not supposed to kick out. <laughs> just, you know, being arrogant. Spicoli nails a spine buster for a two count, but Too Cold retaliates with a hook kick and a clothesline before coming off the top with a clothesline for a near fall. Scorpio charges in, only for Louis to catch and drop him with the Spicoli driver for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, Too Cold demands someone come out and run him off. Na, 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 and that's always a bad idea, na, 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 as Taz makes his way out. You fucked up. <laughs> the human suplex machine gives Scorpio two choices. Get while the fucking's getting good, or get his ass kicked. And Too Cold talks about not having to work this bingo hall anymore, as he's headed to bigger arenas and money. And Taz then says, Bye bye, Flash. Get the fuck out of my house, bitch. <laughs> Flash Funk! Coming soon to a Survivor Series near you. Yeah, it's funny that they already know the gimmick. Like, don't tell them. Don't tell your friends. <laughs> the human suplex machine then turns his attention to Sabu, wanting him to come out right now, saying he's not leaving the ring until he does. Bob Ortiz, the ring announcer, is trying to tell Taz something, so he's invited into the ring. And the human suplex machine warns him not to give him any bad news with Bob telling Taz that there's another match that they need to start, which just pisses off the human suplex machine, so he takes RT's hostage. Todd Gordon then makes his way out with the Dudley family as backup, telling Taz that now isn't the time for this, only for the human suplex machine to just choke him out before asking if anyone else wants to play hero. And Paul Heyman then comes out to check on Todd. When Fonzie would come over to taunt the hurt Gordon, so Polly grabs him, prompting Taz to grab Heyman for a T-bone suplex and the Taz mission. All of a sudden, the lights go out, but when they come back on, Sabu is in the ring! This is a little, little corny. The two men charge at each other, only for the lights to go out again. And when they come back on, the ring is empty. It's like the ending of Rocky where it's like that knockout punch freeze frame thing. <laughs> run at each other and the lights go out. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, Rocky, a shorter movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably the last, uh, I mean, I don't know. I was going to say the last bump that uh, Heyman took, but that's probably not true. He'll probably take another bump in the uh, next two or three years. He's taken a, a recent one here just a couple days ago. Yeah. Oh, did he? Mm -hmm. On WWF? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Damn. Jay super kicked him, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Damn. So we got our 11th match. Raven with the Blue World Order of Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, and Supernova. Lori and Tyler Fullington versus the Sandman for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And Raven says he's here for one reason. To win back his title. That he's beaten the best brawlers in the business. But tonight... 
He's going to out-wrestle Sandman. I mean, what else would he be here for? Mm -hmm. A good time? And the BWO takes the mic to tell the fans that they don't know wrestling, calling Ronas and Moonsaults horse shit and cheap acrobatics. And they don't care if the fans enjoy this match or not. Old Stevie Cor- Steve, Stephen Cornette. Stephen James Cornette. <laughs> and as soon as Sandman hits the ring, Raven attacks, taking it to the mat with a drop toe hold, doing some amateur-style wrestling with Stevie giving commentary live on the mic to let fans know what's happening. I mean, Sandman did a move. That didn't what involve, a maneuver. Didn't involve a beer can. And Joey says he's better than Eric Bischoff. Tony Schiavone and Vince McMahon. But he's no Kevin Kelly, I'll tell you that. Who is? There still is not anybody better than Kevin Kelly. And Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, and Vince McMahon, none of them are the best announcers of all time. They are not play-by-play guys. Only one has improved over the last 20-whatever years. Tony Schiavone? Yeah. I think that Tony Schiavone has stopped improving quite a while ago. <laughs> I, don't, I don't particularly care for his work in AEW, but I love the man just the same. Raven starts working the left arm with Richards pointing out that he's doing that because Sandman is left-handed. Smart. Somebody had to tell Sandman he was left-handed. <laughs> Sandman uses the momentum to send Raven through the ropes to the floor, following out with a slingshot biscotto and tossing Raven into a guardrail multiple times. Raven recovers with a drop kick, and he goes back to work on the arm. As Lurie yells, Die, Sandman! That's what every kid needs to hear his mom yell about yeah. his dad. Die? Feet away from him. Yeah. I hope you joke. <laughs> they trade waist locks momentarily, with Sandman going for an Okada roll, only for Raven to block by holding onto the ropes. So Sandman then charges in with a clothesline, that takes them both out to the floor. 360. Back in the ring, Sandman goes low, which brings Meanie up to complain to the ref, allowing Richards to come in off the top with a knee to the shoulder, before Raven hooks on an armbar. And Sandman makes it back to his feet, throwing some punches, but the arm hurts every time he uses it. Aww. So he just tosses Raven out to the floor, where he hits the railing on his way down. I mean, they were softening up that arm. They were doing some uh, some actual wrestling. Some psychology. Sandman falls out and uses a turpentine can over Raven's head, dropping him across the steel before leaping off the apron with a leg drop. I mean, you know, as soon as he gets just a little bit hurt, Sandman has to go to the foreign objects. Mm-hmm. And Sandman begins to set up a table, only for Raven to bulldog his head through it, leaving both men. A bloody mess. Bloody mess. They head back into the ring with Raven grabbing a chair for a running clothesline, only for Sandman to get a boot up, followed by a drop kick to the face for good measure. Sandman then tries for a DDT, but it hurts too much. But he fights through, making the cover, only to pull his shoulders up off the mat. Does he want to win? Does it make any sense? Sandman then starts pummeling Raven. Maybe accidentally duck, decking the ref. I think kind of did it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's saying, "Man, what are you gonna do? Disqualify me? Fine, yeah, ref I'll take bump, my belt I mean, and go home." I think the thing is, like, he's had enough. He's been dealing with Raven for so long that if he's gonna, if, yeah, win or lose, he's gonna make sure that they both go to the hospital. He's at its wit's end, but yep, yeah. you know, he had no wits to begin with. Probably true. 
which allows Stevie to jump in the ring, only to be knocked down as well. Raven with a chair shot to the injured arm, followed by a DDT as the Blue World Order sets up a table. And Raven sends Meanie to the top rope, while he holds Sandman for a Stevie kick, only for the champ to duck, causing Raven to take the blow and fall back onto the table, which he then gets hit with a Meanie salt that doesn't break the table. It's a strong-ass table. That's a tough one. That's a tough... Tough break, Raven. Sandman makes the cover for the pin, and no, Raven gets his shoulder up. Another Stevie kick connects, this time for a two count for Raven, before setting the table up in a corner, whipping Sandman through it for a near fall. Raven then leg drops the remains of the table onto Sandman, only for the champ to fire up with punches, taking it to Raven in the corner. But Tyler jumps in the ring, sitting in the challenger's lap. Goddamn kid. Weird and kind of creepy. Lori then comes in with the kendo stick. Only to miss four cane shots. Like, she just like completely whiffs. Yeah, she's. it's like she's drunk. She Instead of going straight down, she goes left, right, left, right. It's like, okay, okay. try one more time. I mean, that's what they do in video games, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's been hanging out with Tyler too much. <laughs> She finally hits one right as Raven DDTs the Sandman for the pin. And no, the champ kicks out. Meanie is then whipped into Sandman in the corner, dazing him even further, allowing Richards to nail another Stevie kick before Raven delivers another DDT for the pin. And no, Sandman kicks out again. Yeah, who is he, the Undertaker? Raven loads up the boot, but Sandman avoids the kick, rolling up the challenger for a near fall. The Blue World Order then tosses a railing into the ring, with Raven attempting a suplex onto the steel. But it's blocked and countered into a DDT by Sandman for the pin and the win. So we go to our 12th match, the franchise, Shane Douglas with Francine. And primetime Brian Lee versus Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk. I mean, we know why this is the 12th match. Terry Funk's here. So Joey tells us that Pitbull number two was Tommy's original partner. But primetime had injured him by choke slamming him through three tables. So Dreamer went and found a new dream partner. And the last time we saw Funk was November to Remember 95, episode 171, when he was Tommy's dream partner that night as well. Yeah, Tommy has a dream. Apparently he only dreams of Terry Funk. Yeah. It's kind of creepy, I Tommy. Mean, it's Terry Funk, guys. I mean, we love him. Terry! It's such a good song. Is it Terry Baby? Terry Baby. I'm trying to remember the chorus. So Terry and Shane look to start, but Douglas just flips off everyone and tags in Lee. So Dreamer tags in as well, with Primetime jumping him as soon as he's in. Some psychology there. This guy's got a score to settle. Tommy fires back with a low blow, a Russian leg sweep, and fists of fire, which brings the other two in for everybody to begin brawling. Francine gets involved by grabbing Funk by the hair, so Terry begins to stalk after her, allowing the franchise to blindside him with a chair. Dreamer low bridges the ropes on Lee, sending him out to the floor, when Shane would roll in to nail Tommy with the chair as well. 
Dreamer then reverses a hip toss into a bulldog onto the chair for a two count as Primetime makes the save. All four men then brawl into the crowd using chairs, punches, and headbutts before heading outside the arena momentarily. They make it back to the ring where Tommy and Funk bring some guardrails into the ring before hitting chair shots across the backs of their opponents. They then whip Lee and Douglas into the steel before dumping it onto primetime and slamming the franchise on top of it. Dreamer then sets the railing up correctly to crotch Shane on top of it, following in with the leaping clothesline. Such a funny spot to bring the rail into the ring and then crotch them on the rail that's in the ring and then clothesline them down. It's like, okay, well, it's respectable because at least everybody can see it. Tommy then looks to do the same to Lee, only to be choke-lifted onto the railing to be crotched himself. Terry hits a DDT to primetime, with Douglas going up top. But he's caught with left hands, causing the franchise to just fall off, right onto Funk, knocking them both down. And Dreamer has rolled on top of the guardrail from the pain, with Lee coming off with a second road splash. But Terry makes the save with several headbutts to take primetime to the floor. Those are those uh, all four headbutts, JYD style. That's right. Love to see it. Shane with a snap suplex onto the steel for a two count. He then drops Tommy knee first on the railing, following with a drop kick to the leg as well. And the ref removes the guardrail from the ring while Douglas focuses on the leg. But Dreamer begins to fight back. So Francine jumps up to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody, only for Tommy to catch her. So the franchise clips the knee, taking Dreamer down. And Shane drops Tommy knee first onto a chair, and his knee ends up getting stuck. So Douglas helps remove it with another drop kick for a near fall. I mean, happy accident. I think so. It looks good. Lee's choking Funk with his boot out on the floor, with Terry having been busted open, while Dreamer goes low to slow that momentum. Francine comes in again to go to the top, but Tommy grabs her and delivers an atomic drop before returning to attacking the franchise with a running turnbuckle smash. Primetime comes in to hit a big boot to Dreamer, decides to do it again with Shane holding up Tommy, but Dreamer ducks, causing Douglas to take the blow. And Funk is throwing chairs into the ring, not at people like other people on the show, just into the just ring. Just into the ring. While Tommy goes low on Lee, using a chair across his back. Terry then hits a clothesline on the franchise for a two count, while Primetime chokeslams Dreamer out of the ring and through the timekeeper's table. A little, oh yeah, a little bit of just desserts. Funk checks on Tommy and starts to yell at the ref. I I assume that the ref wanted to call off the match, and so Terry's like, no! Yeah, I mean, I'd assume so, too. It's like, yo. As, as Terry then yanks John Finnegan out of the ring and throws him into the front row. <laughs> We're gonna finish this. Funk crawls back into the ring to take on both men at once, hitting roundhouse punches to knock them back. But it's too much, allowing Shane to pile drive Terry. Douglas and Lee team up for a spike pile driver, followed by a single arm DDT. But there's no ref to make a count. So they set up a table to pile drive Funk from the apron through as well. Come on, we can't be doing this to Terry Funk. He's 52! 
They begin to celebrate inside the ring, but Dreamer makes his way back in to fire up with punches. But again, one-on-two just doesn't work, allowing Prime Time to channel a former gimmick with a tombstone pile driver. Bum, bum, bum. The ref has made it back to the ring, with Lee making the cover for a near fall. And the franchise locks on the full Nelson, with Francine coming in to slap Tommy, which brings out Beulah in a neck brace. And Joey tells us that Shane had locked her in a full Nelson at a show the previous night. He's the neckbreaker. McGillicuddy uses a baking tray over the back of Francine before a cat fight breaks out. Cat fight! <laughs> Shane's mad. Ugh. Lee pulls Beulah off and headbutts her before Douglas delivers a belly-to-belly suplex to Beulah, causing damage control to come out and remove McGillicuddy from the ring. Primetime then returns his attention to Tommy, taking him out into the crowd, with the franchise nailing a springboard crossbody out onto Dreamer as well. And they continue the punishment of Tommy with chair shots, when Terry has crawled his way into the ring and heads up top to fly out with a moonsault out onto the floor. Oh my god. Come on, guys. Damn. Absolutely. Terry salt? He's 52. (laughs) Everyone, somehow, makes their way back to the ring, with Lee setting up a chair upside down to impale Dreamer onto. But Funk makes a save with a chair shot to Primetime's knee, before delivering one or six to Shane's knee as well. Terry then applies the spinning toehold, only for Lee to break it up with a forearm from behind and grab Funk. For a choke slam. No, don't do it. And a cameraman has climbed up to the apron to get a closer look. So Tommy grabs the camera away and blasts Prime Time okay. in the head with it. Followed by that. Terry nailing a DDT for the pin and, and the win. win. Post match, Douglas and Lee beat down our winners with DDTs, chair shots, and choke slams. Only for Pitbull 2 to run out to clean house with a press slam and a double clothesline as we fade to black. Terry Funk moonsault. He really does it, and the landing's not great, but it could have been worse. And they do take the time to make sure everybody's kind of okay as much as ECW's going to do that, where, like, basically the wrestlers are all, like, you know, on top of each other, and you know that they're like, hey, man, you good? are you, you good? You good? You feeling all right? You yeah. good? Yeah. You good? Okay. So I ask you gentlemen... What are your overall thoughts of November to Remember, 1996? Can I go first? I, I, I'm going to be quick. I'll be quick. <laughs> I have one sentence. Okay. No ECW show should be three hours. I'm going to also stick to one sentence by quoting a, uh, a duo from In Living Color back in the oh. day when I say... Hated it. Uh, I thought you were going to go home. You don't play that. No. (laughs) Fuck this show. This (laughs) is a rough one to get through. There's not a lot of variety, as almost every match ends up Mm -hmm. in a brawl fest. Garbage match after garbage match after garbage match, and apparently they're getting rid of or retiring the one guy that I actually liked on the show this time around. (laughs) I think that... (sighs) Yeah... 
I don't remember it as much of like there's no Ian Axel Axel Rotten type of oh there's a lot of spurts of garbage but it's not I think we're remembering the garbage as being more prominent it's because just that the when the garbage did happen we were already over it's, it happening it's there's not garbage it's just brawling to oh, be brawling. Yeah, brawling yeah yeah okay yeah like there's no real point to any of it that like mm-hmm. and everything just goes on way too long yeah if if sabu rvd and the eliminators did if they had a 15 minute match it could have been great you do not need 12 matches 30 on minutes. ECW show. Six would have been I mean, planning. Seven, sure. It's 12 matches, but, but it's, it's really, literally like eight. It's a dumpster fire of a fucking show can that I, I can never I, want to ever watch again. Can I, do you, I, I liked the Too Cold segment. It, nah. I gave the Too no, Cold segment was... In theory, too long, but in theory it, it was, I liked it. It was too long. It probably... It, who knows if actually, like, Hack Myers and J... Like, J.T. Smith probably knew he was, like, done. But they probably could have... But the Hack Myers thing... Hack Myers didn't like, need it. It could have been... They didn't need Hack yeah, Myers. Yeah, they, they didn't have like, to... everyone knows Hack Myers is not the guy that's going to win that match. It's an inside mm-hmm. joke. The Shaw. Like... Yeah. The... Like, if they didn't do as many people, I like the spirit of the segment. Is that a better way to put it? I get it, but... Yeah, but it went on for too long. That's not... It went on for too long, and we've seen it too many times recently. Because, I mean, Shane Douglas did it a few weeks back. I mean, I think think they're funny segments when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. I mean... I like the Too Cold one, all right. I like Too Cold. He's not my favorite wrestler. I think based on the, whatever it is, Collision in Korea episode of Dark Side of the Ring, I think... Too cold Scorpio is an idiot mm-hmm. in real life, but, but he uh, had the I, charisma back then. But I think, yeah, but I think that he's an okay wrestler, and uh, I don't dislike seeing him. But this did go on too long. Mm-hmm. This farewell was too long. He's not as compelling as Mick Foley's farewell, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. But that's hard. You can't compare everybody to Mick Foley. And it came after. A totally unnecessary tag match that went on way, 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 way too long. The fans just already sucked out the, any excitement. That the thing I is, there's so many regular fans that they know that are in the arena that know arena. That's not the right word. Bingo in hall. the building that know that it's going to be a three-way dance because they're friends with the wrestlers and mm-hmm. they told them that and they chanted it at first and they told other people they were friends with. There, so the crowd I mean, already knew what was going on. You watch the same show enough times consistently, you know that if Teddy Long walks out, you're either going to have a six man tag match or somebody's going to be wrestling The Undertaker. So it's, it's obvious yeah, yeah. what we were headed for in this show. But yeah, it was just. Is this uh, ECW? This show is ECW cart before the horse, which they do, but at this point, I feel like they like put the cart before the horse as far as like booking goes mm. as opposed to just like oh I just every feel... match is a gimmick match but no match here is a gimmick match because there's no really re- no real rules in ECW I feel lied to with the way the show started because I was all excited and it everything seemed to be it's gonna start off it's gonna be a booming show Taz is down here he's blowing secrets up all kinds yeah. of stuff and then it just went yeah and I even forgot about that what a fun Smart, uh, but it's also one of the, a smart fan thing where they're putting the cart 
for the horse where Taz is like down there and he's like he's speaking to the wrestling nerds instead of a wrestling audience but it was compelling mm-hmm. and then like the clip of the camera moves up there was like a tiny bit of production where they got the shot of Polly reacting to it which is not something you really get from uh, this company and we don't see Polly very often we really don't we see Todd Gordon more than we see Polly at this point in ECW but everybody knows that he's running the show so it makes it extra weird when they do Todd Gordon stuff because I'm like well we all know Todd that it's Gordon's actually the commissioner. he's the com- yeah I know it's just one of those things where it's like it's kind of a mishmash of jobs we all know jobs. Vince McMahon runs the show but fucking sent Mick Foley out there yeah yeah at one point yeah Teddy Long yeah yeah like, it's what it is. It is what it is, but it just seems a little like less focused. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, what are some of the best moments of this show? Mikey and Candido. Mikey and Candido. Yeah, I, I like that. It was horrible. I enjoyed it. It was sloppy. It was sloppy, and it was kind of a bummer because Candido was great a couple weeks ago and uh we love mikey but it's like oh they just they didn't mesh it's like it's not like they couldn't get it together at some point in the future but mikey can do stuff and he has a a decent mind for a wrestling match but he is sloppy let's see Taz was the best thing on the show Taz yeah. was the best thing on the show but you know um I think that the BW... I mean, we've, been, we've just been setting up this Taz Ta- Sabu thing for so long. Yeah. That we actually, on this show, we actually finally get movement forward. Yeah, for the first time in a long time. And, I mean, is it this is this the first BWO? Yes. Yeah, I mean... The Blue World Order is Blue fun. World, yeah. Absolutely Their hilarious. Interaction with Very funny. Tyler Morton Jericho. And I don't think that they overstayed their welcome considering... That they were entertaining. No, they bring uh, they bring you know a light to the show that is needed because too often here we get too much bullshit. Yeah, and we need just David Tyler Morton Jericho. He was he can't <laughs> he still can't take that. He name had some names. That. I still can't take that name seriously. <laughs> it's so funny. I still I still feel like I should have been um. Brett Jenny Sean Neidhart. <laughs> that was my joke, but uh, the. Like I said, he was built like a like a um, fire hydrant. He could do some stuff. My favorite match on the show was actually the championship match. I know it's crazy to think that Raven and Sandman had possibly the best match on the show. It was impressive, and I like the idea that they're like, okay, well, we're going to do it differently because there's been enough trash already. And considering... And also, Raven has got to be out of practice because the guy mostly stands for a living, and uh, Sandman is about as agile as a rock. But he was impressive considering our expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give that one as the best match of the night. Scrolling through all of these ones here, it's like I no, didn't. No, yeah, I did. No, no. I did enjoy that. I mean, uh, more than I thought. The, and I'm going to say would. this. I'm going I'm to go ahead and move on to disappointments. Go right ahead. Because they did stuff 
there was multiple times in this show where, like, literally they did something in match one, and then literally in match two, they did the exact same thing. Yep. And that's what hurt, to me, I mean, other than just them brawling all over the place after we had seen it in a bunch of other matches, that's what hurt the main event, mostly, is because literally a bunch of the stuff that they did in the main event, they had just did yes. in the Raven Sandman match. Which With is the, like the worst. The railing thing. in the yeah. I mean, yes, crotching them on the railing in the main event yeah. was funny. It was that's funny. that's something different. But having the railing in the ring Yeah, yeah, exactly. alone, like we just saw that. Mm-hmm. Like well, don't, I mean, don't do that again. Yeah, I mean back in it it at a point booking wrestling isn't match to match. It still has to be like a coherent show. Yeah, you have to have a full whole picture of like so you can't have a guy do a fucking and, a moonsault I off mean, the top I, of a ladder in the first match. I'm gonna I'm going to Yeah. So back in the day when the wrestlers basically just called their matches in the ring. Yeah. I could see a few things happening, but like the big stuff People still probably they probably still had an idea that they were going to do like certain like big things. Yeah, the big mm-hmm. spots. And they told everyone, "Hey, we're doing this. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're at the top of the card, so at you, know, this you'll, point, you figure it out what you're going to do." At this point, I feel like most people have started planning out their matches, and they're just like, "Well, this is our match. Don't don't worry about what everyone else is doing." Yeah, and they've gotten away from talking to each other and going, "Hey, we're going to do this in our match." So. So it's just it's very. I mean, it happens today too. Oh, like, it, yeah. It I feel does. like I feel like it's very prevalent in uh, in AEW, where it's like fuck. Like, I mean, it happens what, everywhere. It's not it just does, it's not just an no, AEW. No, but it happens happening. everywhere. But that's a, a, a show I actually watch. I don't actually watch WWF. <laughs> but then they don't even get. I to... I mean, you can just watch the Bloodline. the pay per views and yeah, it does. They do yeah, the yeah, same thing happen. in every in a bunch of matches. Yep. Yeah, but they also don't have the. Is much creative control. Yeah. As I've said, too many unnecessary matches. We didn't need the number one contenders match, and if we were going to have that for the tag titles, then it should have been much shorter. I mean, once it, it should have ended at the first bell. Once it went to the first bell, just call it a draw, and then don't have the championship match. Because uh-uh. no, no one was, won. The crowd already knew. I mean, and then just do the three-way dance at the next, at the next show. And then you've got... Instead of adding another 20 minutes of... These two teams plus the gangsters for ten minutes. Like we don't we don't you need all this. Pitbull that was supposed to be the original up... partner, and then Terry Funk's there, but all of a sudden Pitbull shows up at the end, and he's in gear and just put... well, he was hurt. He had the neck brace on. Yeah. <laughs> all these neck braces. They must have a neck brace uh, a fund. How about best performer of the night? Taz. I mean, yeah, I already said Taz. <laughs> I mean, Terry Funk did a moonsault. That's true. And he did uh, all four, all uh, you know, four on the floor headbutt, which uh, I love. But he did, he did do a moonsault, which he shouldn't have done. But Stevie Richards it. doing the commentary during the hilarious during yeah. that match was great. Like I was just like he started talking, I was just like so funny. This is great. I love it. And then Joey just puts the cherry on the top with the line of the night. Yeah. Like literally, as soon as he said the Kevin Kelly line, I, I texted. These that guys, the, yeah. these guys, I was like, this line is going to pop you, Michael. Yes, it did. He loves it Kevin did. Kelly. I love. I mean, I still think he's the best ring announcer alive today. 
How about most surprising? Terry Funk showing back up? Uh, the the, the funk of. salt? I would say the funk salt. Like, Amini salt hit, guys. Amini salt, salt without the table breaking? That JT didn't get the exit that I was hoping for. Yeah, it's a, you know, him leaving on, on such short notice, but I guess he'll be back for one more showdown. I mean, I didn't know he was leaving until um, Matt brought him Like, in, a, in any real way. Well, I just, I happened to, like, go look to see if these guys actually, like, left, left for a certain amount of time, and that's when I found out that, yeah. like, they were leaving. And, and I was like, oh. It surprises me, because... I mean, FBI the, F- the FBI seems like it's such a brand new idea. I mean, I know it's been going for... A while. A while. But I feel but... like they kind of started to get it going. Mm-hmm. But I knew, I do know that they they take another step. The FBI does the next, the next show. Okay, yeah, I feel like that in my early 20s when I started downloading ECW matches, random ECW matches off the internet, there was some FBI stuff, and I don't know if JT was involved. No. Yeah, yeah. So that's the FBI that I remembered from watching 2000, probably 8, 9, 10, like down, so, sometime in that time period, downloading matches off of uh, wrestling forums or torrent sites and burning them to a disc and then hanging out with a friend and watching matches. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Woo! So this week... The category is 20 questions. It's 20 questions, the question and answer program everyone enjoys. And it's Michael's turn. You start with 20 points. You ask yes, no questions. Each one takes a point off until you guess the correct wrestler. And you get that many points. So you... Pick a number between 1 and 13. 3. Okay, so if you ask any questions about championships, I will only give you up to the point in 94. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Between okay. 93 and 94, if they had a belt. They're a wrestler that wrestled between 93 and 94, but if you ask me any questions about championships, I will give you past information as well. Wait, say that again? It's not only what happened in 93, 94. Not just what happened in 93, 94. Oh. It's up to 94. Up to 94. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. So if it was Ric Flair, it's like, well, he's an 11-time champion. So if you ask if they won a world championship, it could be anybody all the way, 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 way back. Instead of just somebody who won a title in 93 or 94. Okay. Okay. Ask your first question. Have they ever headlined... A pay-per-view in the company in 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 uh, either in whatever company that the wrestler was in. Yes. Yes. They've headlined a pay-per-view. When they headlined a pay-per-view, was it a singles match? Yes. Have they worked for both major companies, that being WCW and WWF? No. I don't know where to go now. <laughs> so you're right. They've headlined a pay-per-view. It was a singles match, and they never they have never worked both companies. Remember my, my up to ninety four. Yeah, I'll give you that much. Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to lead you down the wrong path. <laughs> yeah, up to ninety four. Do they wear face paint? No, no. So I was like, oh, is it Sting? <laughs> it would make sense, right? 
considering that's an official guess right no 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 oh, okay. i was like i was like that was my thought that was my th- what my thought was until the my paint gotcha. question gotcha. was that okay. like they were like yeah that would make sense considering the well, questions I, I was just making sure if it yeah, was an yeah, official no. guess no 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 not an official guess i only get one guess right no you can oh I mean, you can make 20 guesses of who you think the wrestler is without asking any questions yeah oh wow each guess just costs a point if you don't get it right okay no no i was just no, I was just, I was just looking names. at Shane to see if like that, if what I was if my thought process was yeah. uh, reasonable. No, I got where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Work in a prominent tag team. I'm gonna go with no. No, so it's not Bret Hart or it's very difficult. <laughs> they have a prominent career in Japan. Yes. Yes. They ever guest star on a 90s sitcom yes is it leon white vader it is yes <laughs> 13 points for michael today ah oh, i thought i only asked one, two, three four five six questions maybe not no it was tag tag headline pay-per-view singles match face no paint. to both companies face paint prominent tag team pan and then the show. The show. The show. That's eight? Or seven? Seven. Okay. So, so I got it on 20 eight. Minus. Okay, I gotcha, yeah. So you got it on eight, so yeah. you get 13 points. Wow. I'm impressed with myself. Mm-hmm. So I want to say last time we both had it, made it to like 13th or something like yeah. that question. Damn. I got lucky with Vader, right? <laughs> I mean, who's... no? Vader is one of the least forgettable wrestlers. Well, see, I was worried about it just because funny is that like my first big thought like where like my first guess was sting and then it was vader and it's like sting and vader or like well know, literally sting as, and vader are, like the as soon as, biggest as soon as you asked about the other company and i had to clarify re-clarify yeah i was like i feel like that kind of gives it away but i was like <laughs> well i mean but it still could have been sting sting well, see, worked wwf was, years and years later he's only talking about wcw and wwf so he's gonna forget ecw and he's gonna forget new japan because oftentimes he says i totally forgot about them <laughs> yeah yeah if it was if it was ecw well i asked major companies wcw or w but ecw i was like i feel like that could be easier but 93 94 i don't think we were quite all there yet as far we just as kind of started ecw like we'd be, we'd had those those remember those early periods of mm-hmm. watching ecw where like the fuck is this mm-hmm. they don't even know what they're doing Shaky and basically bar wrestling yeah at that point it was yeah it was uh not enough booze to make it enjoyable <laughs> <No>. <laughs> God, next no. week survivor series 1996 Ooh. can i ask a spoiler Sure. Will Louis Spicoli be on the show? No. Okay. I didn't <laughs> He's think He's not the mystery partner. I didn't think so, but I figured I'd ask. That was just to get some heat. Yeah, that's what I assumed, but I thought it was a cute question. I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while since But a I former ECW world champion is the mystery partner. Ooh. Terry. Tito Santana is coming back. So music from this week's show is Thunderkiss 65. 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. By Rob Zombie. And Terry Funk made the pen, so we play his music. Let's Desperado wow. by the Eagles. So funny, though. Oh, song. damn it. <laughs> Desperado. <laughs>
If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Rate and review us. Don't, Spotify. don't rate us on your view of the episode. Hey, <laughs> I think we were pretty entertaining. No, I mean rate rate us. Don't yes. don't rate it. Don't give us a score, a one star score or something because the show the show bad. sucked when you watched it. Like I said, we, we watched the matches, so you don't have to. Yeah, we warn you. But you know, have a drink, have a, a flame and deadly drop kick. Yeah. Terry Funk's song should have been Have a Drink on Me by ACDC. <laughs> I've been too much ACDC for ECW, but I mean, hey, they're going with the hard rock thing. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes! Where are we going next? Madison Sorry. Square Garden. Ooh, MSG. So we're bringing... I mean, that's what I should do. Bring foods with high MSG. Oh, no. I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> we like Chinese food. No, yeah. send me some uh, ideas, suggestions. Do you think uh, that MSG has... Does, does M, is it MSG that sells a pastrami sandwich? I'm sure they probably do. Well, I just remember, you know, it's a little inside baseball, but I think that MSG might have... They probably have a signature food. They've been one of the most famous buildings and mm-hmm. uh, uh, event buildings in our country. If you're from the MSG or near MSG from the New York area or you know, you've ever gone to MSG and eaten food there, Matt and I shoot us a message. Let me know what's going on. What do they have? What'd yeah. you have? What'd you like? What'd you hate? Yeah. But I'm, I was thinking the pastrami sandwich. Uh, we've done a pastrami sandwich. From, uh, from our favorite wrestling podcast. Yeah. Isn't that, didn't they eat that in Madison Square Garden? I don't know. Uh, I don't remember either. It's been so long. Uh, I'll have to look up. There's a whole pandemic between the birth of that joke and now yeah have to look it up see what they've got on their their menu because you know over the last five ten years all these sports places have been getting fancy with their food so it's the summer now it's the summer maybe a water dog dog? boiled hot dog okay in a bun (laughs) with ketchup mustard or relish i'm I'm scared to even know anymore yeah you know just a boiled hot dog if you have any of those things, you can always email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters. Stew.